Ephesians 4, 20 through 32 says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth in, is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him not stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to give, that he may have to give him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgive one another, even as God God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. Thank you, sir. Let me say one thing on this verse. It's not what I'm going to discuss here in just a minute, but I will state this one. Brother Albert, you go ahead and be coming on up. I will state this one, one thing that Nadine and I, when we first got married, this one verse became something very important to us. And... It really wasn't right off the bat. It probably took us about a year to grab a hold of that verse 26 when it said, the end of that verse said, let not the sun go down on, upon your wrath. And so what happened with us early on in our marriage, after about a year, maybe two years, we got a hold of that. And so we'd go to bed at times if we were in anger. Did somebody not get one? And we would go to bed uh, at times uh, if we were in anger with one another, maybe arguing with one another. And we made a pact betwixt each other, husband and wife, my wife and myself. We made a pact together that said, we'll not go together, go to bed angry at one another. We'll not go to sleep that way. And so we'd come down sometimes and we'd be sitting fussing and fuming. I'm not meaning to say we were just like cats and dogs, but we'd have some struggle. And we'd be fussing and fuming, and then about 12, 12.30, we'd start getting kind of sleepy. But we'd made a promise to one another we weren't going to go sleep angry at each other. And so all of a sudden, the weariness of our physical body and, and the promise that we'd made to each other and to God drove us many times to get this thing resolved and now so we can get sleep. And so I would suggest highly 
to all marriages and to you with future marriages that you make a pact together like that. And I would make one more suggestion that you'd be sure with your spouse-to-be that there's a word that will never be in your vocabulary, and that's the word divorce. Don't even have that as a definition. There's not even, it's not even a discussion. You get angry, get angry. Get upset, fuss, fume, do whatever you do, but don't ever dangle divorce over the other one of the spouse. Don't ever do that. That's an unworthy and that's an unfair thing to do to them. Don't ever dangle that around. Don't even use it in your vocabulary. Don't even discuss it. Don't even think about it. Put it far away from you and then determine I'm not going to go to bed angry. I'm not going to go sleep angry. And I think that'll help marriages quite a bit. Alrighty, Brother Albert, you come on up and read Romans chapter 6. Is it verse 1 through 18? Romans uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 18 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid How shall we that uh, are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us uh, were were baptized in Jesus Christ or baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, uh, that like as uh, Christ was raised up from uh, the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also uh, should walk in newness of life. For if uh, we have been uh, planted together in the likeness of his uh, death, we shall also uh, be in the likeness of his uh, resurrection. Knowing this, uh, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of uh, sin might uh, be destroyed, that that, uh, henceforth uh, we should not sell sin. Yeah, for he that is uh, dead is uh, freed from sin. Amen. Now, if uh, we be dead with uh, Christ, we believe uh, that we uh, that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth uh, no more; death hath uh, no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died uh, unto sin once; but uh, in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also uh, yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ uh, our Lord. Let not uh, sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that uh, ye should obey it it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your uh, members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves uh, unto God as uh, those that are alive from the dead, and uh, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have uh, dominion over you, for uh, ye are not under the law, but under grace." What then? Shall we sin because uh, we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Uh, know, know ye not uh, that uh, to whom ye yield yourselves uh, servants to obey, his servants uh, ye are to, uh, to, whom, to whom ye obey, whether of uh, sin unto death or uh, of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked uh, that uh, ye were the servants of sin, uh, but uh, ye have obeyed from the heart that, uh, that for that form of her doctrine which was uh, delivered you. Uh, being then made free from her sin, ye, become her, ye, ye became the servants of righteousness. If you did not get a new penny, it's not a matter of just being polite. I want you to tell me because I want everybody to have both old and new pennies. I don't have any more right at the moment. You surprised me in the amount that was here. I thought I had more, I thought I had more than enough. But I want everybody to get one. So if you did not get a new penny or an old penny or both, please come and tell me. I want you to do so. Alrighty. All right. Now, there is something that I am trying to show and something that I'm trying to get across to us this week. 
is simply God said, He didn't say that you can live both for the world and both for Him at the same time. Matter of fact, if I understand those three verses that we just, those three passages that we just heard, I heard God saying, put off the old man, put on the new man, that the old man is to be crucified, the new man is to be resurrected to walk in newness of life. And as we begin to look at these two pennies that we've given you, I want us to look at there's one penny that is distinguishably old. And that penny is, mine has tarnished look upon it, has a little bit of paint or something on it, dirt. As I turn it over to the other side, it has some kind of a greenish stuff on it. And I see that that penny is very tarnished and very old looking. Now, there's something as I think about that penny right there. I've seen some pennies. and matter of fact, I bought some so that I could test it and see how it works. It's called brass cleaner or copper cleaner as well. And you know, I can take something to that copper and it'll clean that copper right up. But you know what I know about it? I can look at the date and still tell that the penny's old. I can make it look new, but it's still old. The point I'm trying to drive home on that topic is, is that it's possible that you can be here in camp this week and you can put on some kind of a little show and look to Brother Snodderly or to Brother Harvey or to your counselors. You can look like you are functioning in the new man living for God. You can look like that and have us all fooled, but God looking at your heart, he knows you're still living in the old man. But what God really wants is not to clean up the old man. Somebody asked me one time, why doesn't he want to clean up the old man? Because sin has gotten such such a way with that old man that there's nothing worth cleaning up about it. God's not wanting to clean up that old man. But what he's wanting to do is he wants to birth in us a new man. He's wanting us to put that old man away, just put it away. And he's wanting us to take up the new man. And what I'm, I would like to encourage you to do through this week I don't want anybody tampering with it. I don't want anybody messing with it. But as the week goes on, I don't want any hasty decisions. I'm wanting serious, thought-out decisions. I'm wanting the kind of decision that says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot over here with God, but I'm looking for some folks that would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, from my heart, I'm going to get both feet in the boat and go with you. Or maybe you're not ready to say that, and if you're not ready to say that, I'm serious with you. I love you dearly, but don't play games with God. Just go ahead and tell him, God, I'm just going to keep all the way over here in the old man status. And I'm going to stay in the old man status, but, but uh, I, I, maybe one day, God, I'll get there, but I'm not going to do it now. Don't try to fool God. He's, un, he's an unfoolable God. Okay, he knows. He knows our heart, doesn't he? He knows our heart. Now, here's what I want you to do this week. If you can come to the point sometime throughout this week, and I don't want anybody tampering with it now, okay? I don't want anybody messing with it. But if you can honestly come to the point that you can say, I really do want to put off the old man. I really do want to live for God. I really do want to go with him with my whole heart, with my entire life. I really am going to give him my all and trust him to give me the power to live for him. I want you to come down to, not right now, but I'm just talking about, I don't matter, it doesn't matter to me if it's the middle of the day or at the end of a service or whenever, but whenever you come to that conclusion, come down to the altar 
and put that old penny there, symbolic of the fact that you're leaving the old man at the altar. Now you say, I'm already saved, Brother Snodley. I know I'm saved. I know that I, I, I don't need to put off that old man because the day I got saved, I put that old man off. But listen to me. It's very much possible to put off the old man, but still go back and stand and look at him and long for some of the things that you once had. Do you ever see somebody that had uh, maybe, a, maybe a woman have a husband die? There's nothing wrong with this. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just showing that this is sim- similar to it. And her husband dying maybe a week later, maybe a year later, maybe 10 years later. And you can go out there and she'd be standing there looking at the, at the tombstone. Her husband's body's down in the ground. And she misses him so terribly that she's standing there maybe putting flowers on his grave, having good, fond memories of the marriage God gave them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you the picture that I'm going to make and say that this is wrong is when a person gets saved and God crucifies that old life, and they go back and they begin to look at that old life, God, what God saved them from, what God crucified and what he, what he, what he put to death and they're wishing they had some of that stuff back. That's wrong. That's sin and it's not pleasing to a holy God. And so if this week you say, I come to the conclusion that though I'm saved and though I've been saved for a span of time, God knows my heart that some sin has slipped into my very being. And I've been dabbling back in it, though it be dead and though it be awful. You know, I read of a country that when they killed somebody, if a person murdered somebody, that one of the things they did to that person when they murdered them was that they would strap that dead body to the person that murdered him. They'd put it on his back, arm for arm, leg for leg, back for back. And that person would have that dead body strapped to him and he would have to go walking out into to wherever he went with a dead body attached to him. And you know what begins to happen? That as that dead body begins to decay, it begins to set up infections upon the person that's holding that dead body. And it would be a slow and miserable death for the murderer. Now, what I'm trying to say on that topic is, is this, is that when Jesus Christ saves an individual, he crucifies the old nature, the old ways, and he births in us a new nature in a new way. But what happens when a person goes back and they begin to to do some of those things they used to do? Do they lose their salvation? Absolutely not. You can only marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. And to be born again into the family of God, birthed first in the flesh, birthed second in the spirit, and you only birthed one time in the flesh, and you'll only be birthed one time in the spirit. You may not be pleasing to the Father. There may be disciplined by the Father, but he'll never cast you out of his family. But when you go back and you begin to dabble with that old dead body, that old dead nature that God crucified, There'll be some things that will infect you to such a point that your life can become miserable. And so to the saved this evening, I say this, that if you can determine in your life that you want to live for God, you want to give it all to God, I'll encourage you at any given time of the rest of this week to find this altar right here, this table right here, And leave that old penny there, symbolic of your old nature, left at an altar.
Don't anybody mess with these pennies. That's taking, taking uh, it would be as if you were taking up somebody else's old nature. We wouldn't do that. Don't anybody mess with it. If you're not saved tonight, then you've got the question you have to deal with as you live with that old nature as it is. And you have to ask yourself the question, am I going to give myself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I going to call on him to forgive my sins and to save me? Now, I was out in California about three weeks ago, and James and I were out knocking on doors. And when we knocked on this one door, this lady, about 20, I'd say maybe 24, 25 years old, she came to the door, and as she and us stood there and talked, she said, you know, I can't help but believe this is of God. She said, I just moved into town. I've had some things in life going on that told me that I'm not right with God. And now here you guys come knocking on our door. And so we began to talk and, and talk to her about salvation, and Grandma heard it. And Grandma, who she's living with, came to the door and said, Would you all come in? So James and I went in. Grandma asked the little 10-year-old girl over there to go out back. Grandma turns the television off. Grandma brings us a cup of apple, apple cider. And so we're now sitting. Grandma set the mode. We're now sitting there with this young lady. And this young lady, I would ask her as I'd go to a point, I said, Do you understand what we're talking about? And she said, yes, sir, I do. Do you have any questions? And she'd say, no, sir, at times maybe she had a question or two. But when we came to a point after about 45 minutes, I said, ma'am, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and the forgiver of your sin? She said, I certainly would. I said, why don't you just go ahead and bow your head and James and I'll just be here and we'll just listen. And you just go ahead and talk to God. And she said about three sentences that said it all. She said, Lord Jesus... I'm turning to you. I have nowhere else to go. Would you forgive me of my sin and place me in your family? And when she said that, she looks up, tears now flowing down. She was a little bit overweight, and tears were puddling up right there. Oh, I said to myself, what a beautiful lake that must be to the Lord. Those tears. So if this week you say it, whatever time it is, it may happen in the, in the middle of the day, but you say, you know, I need that kind of a salvation. I know that I'm not right with God. I know the destination I'm heading toward is going to be an eternal, an eternal torment in a place called hell to be dumped into the lake of fire. I know that the, and I'll state it, that the worst thing about hell is not the fire, but it's to be separated from the God who loves you forever. That's the worst thing about hell. But you say sometime this week, I need to be saved. I need to, to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to give him my life. Well, you need to do that and you need to tell your counselor when you do that, but you need to put that old penny down here. Now, if when you put your old penny down here, you're left with a new one, symbolic of the new life, right? What I would like to ask you to do with that is to put it in a special place. Maybe the guys would like to put it in their wallets. Maybe the girls have a special place in your purse that you can keep it. That periodically, that penny will come up and remind you that you're a new creature in Christ and you ought to be living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, you had a question, ma'am. Do you still have it? Okay. I, I probably, I, I talk so many times when people have a question that they forget their question when I finally get done. Alrighty, yes, sir. Say it again, please. 
will you tell me after church and I'll be sure to get you some, okay? And anybody else that does, I'm talking adults as well. I want you to have, because we need to be reminded. We need to have things in front of us because if we're not careful, we'll let something slip in and we'll let something happen. And the next thing we know, we'll go a span of time not living in the new nature. We ought to have some reminders. And I'll state this. I don't know how in the world it happened, but I can remember my father-in-law having a marble. I don't know what the marble was about. I mean, I don't know what kind of commitment he made, but it meant something betwixt he and the Lord. And he always carried a marble. It was always in his pocket. He'd always breach in his pocket and pull out a little bit of change. And in his handful of change, there was that marble. To anybody else, he'd say, that's silly. But to him, it meant something. And so that's what I'd have you do this week. You say, what happens if I do not come to the point that I'm ready to put my old life on the altar and go and, go and function in the new life? Then just hold on to both pennies. Hold on to both. Put them both in a special place. And when the day finally arrives, it may be a year from now. It may be next week. It may be who knows when. But when the day finally arrives that you can say, I'm ready to go with God. I'm ready to live for Christ. I'm ready to give him my life. Then get rid of that old penny to help you remember that you're going to function in a new life with Christ. All righty. All right. You know, I had a man tell me in Oliver Springs, Tennessee, he wasn't saved. Not in the slightest was he saved. But that man, as I was sitting there talking to him, he said, let me ask you a question, mister. I'd given him the gospel. And after I had given him the gospel, he said he wanted to ask that question. He said, you know, I have a sister that tells me she's saved. And he's told me some terrible things that his sister's doing. He said, what do you think? I said, well, I can't be the judge of a person's heart. I can't see that heart. I said, I do know this, though, that when a person is saved, they are giving their life to Christ. And the man said it this way, and he said it better than I did. He said, that's exactly the way I see it, mister. He said, I believe when a person gets saved, they're telling God, I'm going your way. And I thought, well, that's a very appropriate way of putting it. From a lost man's mouth, he didn't get saved. But from a lost man's mouth, salvation, God, I'll go with you. What a statement. All righty. Take your Bibles, please, this evening. Let's go to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. And we're going to look at, I don't know how much we'll look at. We'll probably look at the first eight verses to get us a little bit of a nudge. And then we'll move on into it. Stand with me when you found your place. Psalm chapter 119. We'll look at the first eight verses. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of understanding of Psalm chapter 119. It's divided into eight verse segments. You'll find as it's divided into eight verse segments that each of the, of the eight verses, their segment begins with a Hebrew letter of the alpha, of their alphabet. You'll notice that in verse one, it begins with the letter and it states it, the name of it is Aleph. Do you see it? A-L-E-P-H. Do you see that? Right above verse one, A-L-E-P-H. Look to the left of that word and you see a squiggly, a squiggly mark. That's the, that's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Look, come down eight verses. Look right in between verses eight and nine. You see the next one is pronounced Baeth. See the squiggly mark to the left of it? That's the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, every eight verses you will find that. 
And so this chapter is divided up into eight verse segments throughout the entire chapter. And so we're going to read the first of the, the first segment, eight verses of it being that first section called Olive. So let's read it and I'll read it to us. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Notice the heart of the child of God here. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. All righty, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this evening. And Father, you have put me on a sober yet vital topic. The putting off of the old man, the putting on of the new man, the not walking in my way, but walking according to your statutes, the finding your way and walking in it. Lord, this evening I need your help. Because all I can do is say your words. I can do nothing on somebody's heart. And I plead with you, God, that you would speak to the heart. Father, I'll try my best to speak to their ear, but would you take it to the heart? May this evening, if there be some here that are lost, may they be saved. May this evening with the saved that are dabbling in sin and not living a clear-cut, holy, righteous life unto Christ... May this evening, Father, you prick their heart and may they not kick against the pricks. But, oh Lord, may they run to you and to to yet one more time to to ask for forgiveness and to plead for a, a, a staying away and a getting away and a staying away from that old dead body, that old nature. Father, we need you. Father, we need you desperately. As I pray for the saints this evening, and maybe they've dabbled in that old nature, I plead with you, God, that you'd help a a three-step thing not start. If there's anger, Father, that ones have gone to, please may they get it right before it turn into bitterness. If there's bitterness, Father, then please may they get it right before it turns into malice. A get-even spirit. If there's malice, God, please, may they get it right. And Father, may we stop at nothing as you stopped at nothing to draw us to you. May we stop at nothing to be close to you as well. Oh, precious Lord, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated.
just for the sake of, uh, an, I, I guess novelty is not a proper way of putting it, but anyway, I'll just state it for whatever word I would need that I'm not finding right at the moment, that if you were to, without study notes and things of that nature, have a Bible, and were to set your fingers right in the middle of your Bible and open it up, you'd open to the book of Psalm, most likely, if you opened it dead center. If you were to find that really the dead center not only is the book of Psalm, but you would begin to wonder what's the chapter that's at the dead center, then you would come up with chapter 118 is the dead center chapter in the dead, uh, in the Word of God. And then if we were to look even more closely, we would find that the dead center verse in the middle of the Word of God is verse 8. And if we look at verse 8, which is the dead center verse in the middle of the Word of God, we find right in the middle of verse 8 is two words, the Lord. Notice it as you would look at verse 8. It is better to trust in. You have six words. Go to after the Lord and you find than to put confidence in man. Six words. At the center of the center verse of the center chapter of the Word of God, you find you have the Lord. Now, God's at the center. The Lord is at the center of the Word of God. There is not a doubt about it. He is at the very center. Now, we have come to chapter 119. And coming to chapter 119, you're going to notice a, a lot of different words, such as, as we look in verse 1, the word it says, the, uh, he says in verse 1, he's talking about the law. Then you find in verse 2, he talks about the testimonies. Then in verse 3, he talks about, he talks about God's way, they that walk in his ways. And then he says in verse 4, precepts. And then he says in verse 5, statutes. He says in verse 7, judgments. And all of these are just some word that God has used and he has seen fit to use and he's right in his usage that points at the word of God. If you were to talk about the law, you would have God's divine instruction to mankind. If you were to talk about his testimony, you'd talk about God's divine witness. If you were to talk about the statutes, you'd have God's divine directions, the commandments, God's divine authority. And so the list could go on and on, but it's pointing at the word of God. It's what it's pointing at. Now, when we come into verse 1, I want you to notice with me, please, that God said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, in this verse, we find that there are three blessings that will be had, yea, five blessings that can be had in this verse 1. First off, God said, blessed are the undefiled. Now, I talked about an old man, and I talked about a new man this evening, and I want to make a statement that if you are defiled this evening, then you're functioning in the old man. You are functioning in the old man. There's no way around it. If you are living in sin tonight, no matter what the sin is, no matter what the reason for the sin, you are functioning in the in, in a defiled status in that old man, and you cannot reap the blessings that God wants you to reap. That is an impossibility. That is simply an impossibility. He said, blessed are the undefiled. He said, blessed are the undefiled. There's many things about being undefiled. I don't know all of them, but there's many things that could be in an undefiled status. I remember the day that I got saved, or let me rephrase it. I don't know really the day I got saved, but sometime prior to me getting saved, I used to wear my hair just where my earlobes barely showed. 
I mean, I was a real honey. I must have been. I hate that picture that I, uh, that we had that just had my earlobes barely showing. Oh, man, that was an awful picture. What a terrible looking sight. What happened, Brother Snarley? Well, one day God's word showed me that he said that it is a shame for a man to have long hair. So somebody said, well, how do you know what's long and what's short? I pointed at my head and I said, get us a short, nobody can call it long. You should be in the ballpark. And then I find then the scripture talks about a woman having long hair. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he talks about the woman's long hair is her glory. And then the woman's long hair in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is to be her covering. And therefore, when we see that Mary, as she came into the feet of Christ and she broke, and and she broke over Christ and began to weep upon him and she took her hair and she began to wipe the feet of Christ, that passage in the book of Mark compared to that first Corinthians passage where God said the woman's long hair would be her glory would be a picture of woman taking what's glorious to herself and putting it at the feet of Christ. Which brings me to the question is, what is it that's glorious to yourself? What is it that you like? What is it that's so important to you? I want to be the world's greatest basketball player. Is that what glorious to you? I want to make a million dollars. You heard the joke, didn't you? One guy said he had three wishes granted him. He said, wish number one, I said, I want a million dollars. And poof, he had a million dollars. Wish number two, he said, I want a Lamborghini race car. And poof, he had a Lamborghini race car. He said, wish number three, I want to be irresistible to women. And poof, he turned into chocolate. Now, the point to be had is, now you can laugh with me. That, that's a funny one. I'm not real good telling jokes, and I don't think that really the pulpit's a place, and I don't joke much. But I want this to be understood. I want to know from you, do you understand what you're wanting out of life? What is it that you say in your life that if I could obtain that, oh, I would deem myself to have arrived and I would be the happiest that I could possibly be? And now let me preface, or let me not preface, but whatever. I'm drawing a blank on words this evening. Let me go after that and state this, that if you come up with anything save Jesus Christ is my goal in life, then I hasten to say that you are not right with Christ. You may not be saved, or it may be that you're saved, but something has come in betwixt you and God. If your goals are anything but Christ, that's what I want to please. That's who I want to follow. That's who belong, who is all in all to me. And I want him, him to abide in me and me in him. And I state that if you ever can come to that point, God said, blessed are the undefiled. Now, blessing number one is being in an undefiled status. He says in Psalm chapter 101, the scripture says it this way. He said, I will sing of mercy and judgment. And I got to thinking about that one time. We hear songs like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But when's the last time you heard a song that said Amazing Judgment? How sweet the sound that judged a wretch like me. We don't hear songs like that. We don't hear songs like that. But you know, as I begin to think about it, God said, blessed are the undefiled in the way in Psalm 119 and verse 1. And if there is truly, if I could make this this aisle right here, the path, the way that God wants for Bill Snodderly, 
And I began to get in that path and to function in that path and to walk in the path of God the way He wants me to walk, the direction He's wanting me to walk, the pace He's wanting to walk. And all of a sudden the blessings begin to flow and I begin to say, my, how wonderful the blessings of God are. And then there comes a day for whatever the reason. I get over here and I get out of the way. Am I still saved? Yes, I'm still saved. But I do notice that the blessings that I experienced while walking in God's way, those blessings aren't over here. And I begin to hunger and thirst for those blessings that are over there. But I'm over here and all of a sudden, due to God, he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So the scourging, the chastening, the judgment hand of God begins to judge me. And as it judges me, before I know it, it judges me right back into God's path. And now I'm back in the path of God. And now the blessings begin to flow again. And I believe when God's judgment is accomplished and the individual, the saint of God, gets back in the path and the blessings begin to flow once again, I believe the child of God will sing of the praises and of the, of the judgments of a holy God. That he didn't leave us out there in misery. That he judged us and brought us back to the spout where the blessings come out. We need the judgments of God. Thank God that He doesn't just leave us out there in sin and in misery. And thank God He doesn't keep it, keeping, keeping us, leaving us alone, but He keeps bringing us back. Praise His name for that. Blessed are the undefiled. Then He said, blessed are the undefiled. And the second blessing you see is in the way. So blessed are the undefiled in the way. God's got a path for everybody here today. If you're not saved, God's calling upon you. God's way for you is that you would come to Christ. I was talking with a man just a little bit ago. Let's see, it'd probably be just about last week. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. No, a week ago, this past Sunday. And we were coming home from church, and this little old sporty-looking car went zooming past us, and it had that kind of white-looking paint on it. You ever seen that white-looking paint that kind of, I call it, looks like a pearly white look to it? I said, man, that's a sharp-looking paint job that car has. He went zooming on past us, and we're coming, we went about 20 miles, and we're coming up to the exit that we're going to be getting off. That exit that we're getting off, about, oh, about a half a mile before we got to that exit, it started raining. So we're pulling up to that exit, and when you get up to that exit, there's that little car. And I thought to myself, good, I'll get a close-up look at that paint job. And when you pull up there at this one exit, you turn right and there's a lane. That lane you can go on down through there and not have to enter into traffic. There's a a little running lane that you can get your speed up and pull over into traffic. Well, that little car is sitting there and it let off of its brake. It must have had a clutch and it began to move. I said in my mind, it's going on. I look to my left. There's not a bit of traffic over here at all. The little car is going into that lane. But while I'm looking this way, it put its brake back on. Nadine goes, Bill, look! And I turned and I looked. I put the brakes on and slid right into the back of a little sports car. I said, boy, boy. When I slid into the back of him, out of the car gets a skinhead, comes a skinhead with two diamond earrings in his ears. He gets out of the passenger side and a woman gets out of the other side. I looked at that side and said, a woman driver, that figures. No, I didn't say that. But anyway, as as he got out, he's mad. He's angry. He looks at me and says, what in the world, buddy? And he starts cursing at me. And I got out of the car and I went over and I stuck my hand out. I said, I need to apologize. I certainly didn't mean to do it. 
his anger was diffused like that. We pulled off and we went over and we talked a little bit and I just decided to pay cash on it instead of go through different procedures. And so as I was going to meet him on Tuesday after that, I was going to take some money over to him in Knoxville, Tennessee, about 75 miles. And so I drove over that direction. Halfway there, God spoke to me severely. I want you to witness to that guy. I want you to tell him how to be saved. And I remember after I gave him the money and we got everything squared away that way, I remember that I said, now listen, before we go, I've got to talk to you about the Lord and about whether you're going to heaven or not. And I began to talk to him. And as I began to talk to him, this tough, hardened, diamond earring looking guy began to soften. And I remember by the time we got done with that conversation, I looked at him and I said, Travis, I said, do you want to get saved right now? He says something along this line. That lady that was driving the other day, I'm living with her. He said, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I said, Travis, it's up to you. I said, but you've got a big decision to make. Is that woman worth burning in hell over? And I'll ask you the question. If you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, and if you're sitting there and you're asking yourself the question, do I want to get saved? And all of a sudden there's some, some things that you know are sin and you know are not right. And your mind's saying, you know what? That Bible speaks ill of what you're doing. And God's going to start calling on you. And you can begin to ask yourself those kind of questions. And I've heard people do it. That's what Travis was doing. And I ask you that question. Is what you're weighing in the balances worth hell? One man in Jacksonville, Florida answered the question. There ain't no way it's worth hell. That's what he said to me. After we got done talking, Travis did not get saved. It looked like he was so close, but he didn't get saved. But Travis made this statement to me. He said, Mr. He said, do you realize that you are the first person in my entire life that's bothered to take the Bible and tell me how I can know I can go to heaven? And in my mind, I said, we're standing in the Bible belt and he's never heard. But then that makes me say, I wonder how many tonight are here and maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you've heard it with your ears. But God's gradually and finally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, turning the light of understanding on in your soul. And for the first time in your life, you're understanding that I am on a way that's taking me places that I don't want to go. It's as if sin has got such a drag and a hold on me, a clear, a grip on me, and I can't get loose. And for the first time in my life, God's spoken to me. And with an understanding heart, I am understanding that there is no hope with the way I'm going and there's no hope within me and the only way I can escape that path is Jesus Christ and his shed blood blessed are the undefiled in the way you say I want God's blessings I say get in his way no I don't want to go God's way I want to go my way but I want him to bless me in my way he doesn't bless that way At least he's not obligated to scripture. If you've received blessings, you can just count yourself graced of God. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. And then notice the next word that says, who walk. You say, one day I was down at an altar preacher. And I discovered by God's opening my eyes, his illuminating my mind, I discovered his way for me. Brother Jacob, we had just gotten out of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
We had just gotten into an independent Baptist church. They gave us the King James Bible and said, this is it. And we believed it. And our lives began to change and it wasn't but just a few months. Nadine got saved. It wasn't but a few months after that. Boy, we're chomping at the bit. We're wanting to do something for God. There's a burning inside. So we're in a bookstore. Now, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you this is what happened. So we're in a bookstore. And wake her up, please. Wake her up. Hey, stay awake for me, okay? And so we're in a bookstore. No, 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 no. Let's stand up just a second. It'll all help her out. Okay, everybody stand up. So we're in a bookstore this one day, and we're trying our best to decipher the will of God in our minds, and we came across a globe. Now, this isn't, I'm telling you, this isn't now. I'm just trying to show you how immature we were. But I saw that globe there, and I said, okay, Nadine, here we go. And I spun the globe, and I said, now, let's close our eyes. And we closed our eyes, and we put our finger down. I put my finger down, and I looked under my finger, and it said, Thailand. I said, yuck. Let's spin it again. Close your eyes, close your eyes. And we spun it again, and I put my finger down, and it said, Thailand. And I said, yuck. Who wants to go to Thailand? You know what I was thinking? I thought I'd found the way of God for our lives. But in my mind, I was saying, oh, no. And for three years, for three years, every time I'd go to an altar and I'd say, God, I want your will for our lives, Thailand would come to my heart. And I'd go, yuck. And I'd give them go away. But I remember that day, and in, in, I don't remember the year, but it was probably about 1986, maybe 87, that I was at an old-fashioned altar, and I came to grips with the fact that I wanted God's will more than wanted it. I needed it. I had to have it. And I was at the altar, and I was pleading with a holy God, God, show me what you want out of me. And I made this statement, I'll even go to Thailand. And at that point, I heard God clearly say, I don't want you in Thailand. I just want your willingness to go anywhere. And at that point, God had it. See, we can find the will of God, but that's not where the blessing is. It's just finding it. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk. It's not just enough to see it. We've got to get in that path and begin to function in that path and plead with God to give us the power to accomplish it. By the way, that word walking, it's more than just a jumping. You can stand around and jump all you want to and make no progress and exert a lot of energy. It's more than just a, all right, ready, get set, go. And you run, but you don't finish the race because you ran out of energy. That walking is giving us a, a, a word that seemingly is showing us a pace that's going to accomplish the course and finish the course with God's methods and God's plans and God's timing. Thank you. You can be seated. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk. And then it said, in the law. You'll let me just state this one thing. Is that a lot of people are doing a lot of things. And calling it of God, but it's not matching up with the Word of God. And if it doesn't match up with the Word of God, it's not of God. That's all there is to it. I've had people tell me, well, I've had my experience. I've not been trying to neglect you all over here. I just haven't been over there. That's where the crowd is. But uh, I've had my experience. I ask this question. 
Does your experience have a backing with the Word of God and go with the Word of God? Well, no, preacher. I don't know what the Bible said, but I've had my experience. Your experience is not right. Because the Bible never makes a mistake. God has never made a mistake. He's never missaid anything. He did not leave anything out. He did not put too much in. He has said it and that settles it. And we are not to say, but my experience sidesteps the word of God. It does not do that. God said, blessed are the undefiled in the, in the way who walk in the law. This book of God is the book of blessings. It tells us how we can achieve God bless God's blessings. It tells us how we can function in the blessings. It tells us how we can have the power to keep on in the blessings. You know, it's possible to get so much blessings that it would just somehow bring us to the point that we can't go on. Dwight L. Moody came to that point at one point. He just had to a point and he said, God, I can't take your blessings. I can't take your power, your filling of the Holy Spirit anymore. God, would you hold back or else I'll die. We've got to have the power of God. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law. And then where does all blessings come from? The Lord. The Lord of all blessings. Now, I want us to look at a second thing. Notice in verse 2 it said... Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. But I'm specifically after the next portion of that verse. And that seek him with the whole heart. Now that's something we're after tonight. Remember the old man? Remember the new man? Remember the old man getting put off if you're going to do it? I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not looking for a bunch of shows. Well, my, my, my friend out of my, my, uh, my group, they went down and put their penny down there, symbolic if they put their old nature down at the altar and just left it and went on. Well, I better do it just so I don't look like an oddball. No, that's, that's, that's a fakeism and we're not after that. We're not after that. We're looking for something real. We're looking for more out of this camp than a bunch of people who know how to look godly but not be godly. We're looking for some people that will put their very hearts into serving God. They'll give them all. And so we see here that it said, and seek him with the whole heart. Don't raise your hand. But is there anybody in this room this evening that at this very moment you honestly are striving to seek God? You notice I didn't even say with your whole heart, but you honestly are seeking God. Don't raise your hand. I'm not wanting you to. But can you honestly say tonight, you know, I really want more out of God than I've got. I really want God to have more out of me than he's got. Is there anybody that can say that kind of thing? Is it possible that is there anybody in the room tonight that can say, I don't seek him with my whole heart, but I sure want to. Is that a possibility? Let me divert just a second because I think, I think it's, it's, it's important. I, I'm, not tra- I'm not chasing a rabbit trail too far. But let me ask this question. What do you want out of heaven? What is heaven to you? Well, Brother Snarley, I'll tell you what I've been told. Well, Brother Snarley, the streets are gold. Yes, they are. Brother Snarley, we've got a mansion waiting on us. Yes, we do. I'm going to ride a white horse. Yes, you shall. I'm talking to the saved. There'll be no more sorrow there, and there won't be. He'll wipe away all tears, and yes, he will at one point. There'll be no more pain. You're right. But I'm asking a question. 
Is that what you're wanting out of heaven? Is that it? No, I mean, is there nothing more important to you than, let me state it, the selfish mentality of what I just stated? Listen to what I just said. What's heaven to you? Streets of gold. The mansion I will obtain. The pain I will not have to experience. The tears that will be wiped away from my cheek. Do you hear self attached to that? I do. Let me tell you what the supreme thing about heaven is. The one that's sitting upon the throne. Let me, let me just put it in perspective. What happened if you got everything about heaven that heaven has to offer except for Christ? You still want heaven? I mean, I mean I'm, just, I'm trying to ask a serious and obvious question, Brother Newburn. One preacher said it this way. He said, heaven, Christ is heaven. I'll try to quote this poem right. Christ is heaven and heaven Indeed, for if Christ were in hell, then hell became heaven to me. What's heaven to you? Let me tell you what it should be. It should be the physical sight and an opportunity to be around the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who loves you and me more than any person has ever loved us who gave himself on the cross of Calvary so that he could have people like us who are so worthless. We've done so much wickedness. We've done so... If we'd have been there, I don't know what part of his crucifixion I'd have played. I shudder to think, would it have been me that was spitting in his face? But the opportunity to be in heaven with Jesus Christ, the God of all glory... To witness his glory and his movements. If they thought Solomon moved in and out, boy, in a royal fashion, wait till they see the Lord Jesus Christ's movement. What a day to see him upon his throne in glory. To see him when he sits there with majesticness about him. And to see the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ viewing us, I'm telling you what went on in my mind, and I'm not being silly. But I thought to myself, oh, that I could reach a certain note one day, and I was singing a hymn, and my voice kept cracking. And it came to my understanding that when I get to glory, there'll be no note too high. But what God has given me a voice that I can reach it to sing the praises to a holy God. And I've, I've sung songs before and I've heard it on the tapes here at Tabernacle and I've heard you and hear the song reach such a crescendo and you hold the note out. And in my heart saying, oh man, I seemingly don't have enough breath to hold that note out long enough and loud enough that God's deserving. But oh, there's coming a day that I can bow before His very throne and I can cast my crowns at His feet and I can sing the praises to a holy God. Oh, that's heaven. That's heaven. That's what seeking Him with His whole heart. Oh, folks, that we could be determined in our heart. I've got to see Christ. 
That if I don't see Christ, I think I'll just die. I've got to see Christ. I've got to see Christ seeking Him with a whole heart. Look at verse 10. Oh, Lord. It's just too good to... God help. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Somehow the psalmist began to seek after God. And as he began to seek after God, he caught a glimpse of a holy Savior. That when he caught that glimpse of a holy Savior, it became so wonderful. The one he had sought after and he caught a glimpse of him that he hungered for that sight and that glimpse to never go away so severely that he said, don't ever let me wander from this point. Seeking after God. I'm not talking about a selling out and oh, it's going to be a miserable thing and I really want to go over here and live in sin. Oh, but I must go God's way. I'm talking about catching just a glimmer of a glimpse of a holy God and it becoming so real to you that you said, I like what I'm seeing. Whatever it costs, I'm willing to pay. But I've got to go for Christ. Seeking after God with my whole heart. Look at verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You got two options tonight, and the choice is fully and completely yours. You can use God's word to get cleansed, or look, if you would, down into verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Or you can use God's word to keep you from sin. You can go out here and you can live as wicked as you want. And you can come to God's word and fall under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit as God's word is read to you or as you read it or as it's preached or as it's sung and the word of God convicts you and you get things made right and you get things cleansed and I praise God for it. But let me ask the question. How much time did you lose in your life for seeking and serving God while out in sin needing the word of God to come cleanse you? Praise God for these that have lived wicked lives. Praise God for these that have been out here and lived in terrible sin and got close and got right with God. Thank God for, for the Ivan Millers that got saved in his 80s up in North Dakota. Thank God for the for the the... The Paul, I can't remember his last name, up in North Dakota, the Catholic man getting saved in his 60s. Praise God for that. But all for the day that the youth would say, I'm not waiting on God to have to bring me back. I'm going to His Word to keep me from it. What a day. What a day. We say, look what God did. Why don't we determine as a body of youth in this camp to not be content with looking at what God did, but fall upon our faces before a holy God and say, God, would you do it with us again? Yes, and you're right. I'm not playing around. 
This thing is real to me. I didn't come here from Tennessee for the fun of it. I like Texas. But I came pleading with the Holy God, stir my soul so that you could stir other souls. And oh, if I could do it, but I can't. I would come down and I would encourage you to come to an altar. And I'd take everyone and encourage you to come to an altar. Seek God. Oh, seek God. Don't waste your time in that sin. Don't waste your time in that mess. Seek God. This life is too short. The brevity of life is too short for us to waste life on frivolous sin. We must make much of the time that's been given to us. You say, I may live to be 80. You better put that on the line of eternity and you'll see that's not very much. Oh God. I'm 45 years old. Some of my children made a joke about it, but it's a sincere thing. Boy, Dad, if we could double your life, you'd be 90. I turned 45 this past Friday. If I double my life, I'll be 90. The Bible says that the average life is 70. That begins to tell me I'm past halfway if we go just with the average. And my mind is saying, oh... We better do something quick. If I'm going to do anything for God, I better get on with it. And you say, I'm not 45, Brother Snodderly. And I'll tell you this. It seems like just yesterday that I was 17. Time seems like it's flown that fast. I can take you to the day I saw an 18 for the first time. I can take you to the day that we got married. I can take you to each event of each child as they were birthed. And I'm telling you right now, I simply cannot believe I'm 45 years old. It has flown. If you're going to do anything, do it now. Seek Him with your whole heart. Let's bow our heads. Precious Lord. We come to you tonight. I got to acknowledge to you, Lord, I don't know which way to turn or which way to take this thing. I need your help desperately. I'm convinced that there are youth, there are people in this room that need to quit playing the games and get on with seeking God. I'm convinced there are people in this room if they drew their last breath this evening, they'd descend into a devil's hell. Oh, God, please. Save their souls. Oh, God, please. Have thine own way. In Jesus' name.